Hello and welcome to the lore you know. We're ah. on episode 13 in oh, the Scarlet. No way. Yeah. No way. That's so, insane. Lucky number 13, right? <laughs> Let's talk about Calastia and the Calastian hegemony. And for those of you who aren't Money. already Scarred Lands fans, um, this might ruin your day. I don't know. Like, <laughs> everyone no, thinks no, no, the Scarred no, Lands is such that. a happy place. Everything is so go-lucky. Hi, Sarah. How's your I, day? Uh, hi. I'm going to to undo some of the uh, the, the bad rep that Calastia gets yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. Like, Seriously, because it is not all a bad, horrible place. It is not Nazi Germany. Or um, is it? Like it is not. It is not. <laughs> <laughs> it's more like honestly, if I was to compare it to any country, it would be like the United States, <laughs> um, <laughs> or possibly. I'm uh, not going to uh, argue yeah, with you on that point because. <laughs> It is not Nazi Germany. Um, it is, it is, it is much more complicated than that. Not that that wasn't a complicated place, it's but true. it is not. It is not that horrible. Um, in fact, it's actually, for most people, who aren't. Okay, for a couple of races, it's a really great place to live. Right. If you're, if you're human, if you're a halfling, it's the bomb. If you're anything else, it kind of sucks. But um, <laughs> so. Calastia. So we're going to talk about the Calastia hegemony, which is six countries, one city-state, and one colony. It's freaking huge. It's really not the biggest empire that that Scarlands has ever seen by any means, but it is the, currently, I would argue, the probably um, the arguably close to the biggest empire right now happening in in AD one fifty. Yeah. Um, uh, you know, you can you can make some and certainly in Gelsbad, no question. Absolutely, no question. yeah. That was You know, geographically, is the elves bigger or is the Dragonlands bigger? But I'm, right. Whatever, I'm not together. Um, but certainly in Gelsbad, which is what we talk about most of the time, we talk about what we call new Scarred Lands. It's not a reboot exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of a reboot. If if you've just joined Scarlands in fifth edition, it's they picked it up in the same time frame as third edition. Unlike yeah. unlike like Forgotten Realms, they always move every edition moves forward so many years, and they didn't do that. But they made changes that seem so make it seem like it rolled forward yeah. some. Yeah, and and as I've <laughs> as I've talked to uh, the line lead. It's I mean, one of my efforts that I've been making is to, well, where practical to maintain old lore in the new update. As much old lore as makes sense. And yeah. we're throwing away a few things that are like, that's stupid, you know. <laughs> Blood sea. No, it's not that large anymore. Just go away. Um, but, uh, but other things um, we are trying to maintain as much as possible. So as we talk about Calestia today, um, I'm basing most of this on the old materials, as I've done with all, most of these other talks. Um, but some things in the new books may contradict a little bit of this. But honestly, after rereading some of this stuff, it doesn't really contradict that much, except for one significant area that we've talked about before, about the, uh, the Slytherin. But um, in the most part, it doesn't. Um, it's pretty consistent, so, which surprised me. I was waiting for the, the you know, as I, I, re I read the reread the old stuff and then read the new stuff at the end just to refresh, like, and this means we are at where, and I was just like, 
nope, only yeah. one thing was really <laughs> was really different. Um, so not bad. Um, they've, they've pretty much kept it the same. So as I said, it's countries um, and city-state and a colony. The main country, and we're not just talking about Calastia here, the main country is Calastia, which is um, kind of where it all started. Um, and it's called that before, before the, well before the war, there was an empire that covered most of Gelsbad called the Lydian Empire. You see a lot of references to it. The language that everybody speaks, Lydian, I, aka Lydian, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I blame Travis for Lydian. Yeah, first time I ever heard it called Lydian, but Lydian. Um, put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Um, Plains of Lead are clearly named after Lydian Empire. So Lydian Empire covered most of Gelsbad, and this uh, south east section was called the uh, province of Calas, C-A-L-A. Um, and it was pretty much the region was known as that. And the ruling, the uh, population, as most of the southern areas, uh, humans were of Elzen descent, which was Empire of Els, which was the empire that was here before the Lydian Empire, because there have been a billion empires in this region. Um, and way before that, this region was was um, under uh, Asathi snake people rule, and there's some Asathi ruins here as well. And in there as well, the, the ancients ruled it for a while and all of that. So this, this changed hands a lot. Uh, and shortly before the war, um, the... Uh, the, the empire that kind of was trying to encompass Gelspad was the Charduni dwarves from Termana. And they had conquered vast chunks of the area, certainly everything in the west and northwest. And we were, they were going into this area. They didn't quite take uh, the Kalas province, mostly because of the people ruling it at the time were like, we'll just make a deal with you. And they were like, okay, we, we'll worship Chardun too. And they were like, Okay, <laughs> and so they didn't kind of conquer them. They were like, okay, we'll just be allies, and and that was that was fine because the Charduni worship uh, Chardun. No surprise, Chardun literally took a bunch of dwarves and made, remade them to worship him as a as a bit of a servitor race. Um, but the the people of Calas, which were predominantly human, um, are not a servitor race, um, a, a mystery race. Uh, were were pretty much who was. The major population there at the time, and after, but after the war, um, the Charduni kind of buggered off because a bunch of them died during the war, and and they had other things to do, and so the nobility or would be the nobility in that region, the old Lydian nobles, kind of gathered together and started just staking down land and being like, "This is us," um, and one guy like right away. Kind of went. I'm going to take this and started claiming more and more land, and he became the first king of Calastia. And that was. I'm opening the book because I can't remember anybody's names because who the hell can? This is a fun pronunciation. I'm going to say, good, Goodred, Goodred, like, gee, yeah. Um, so he and he didn't rule very long. Um, he was he was around during the war, so he wasn't like super young when he took over. Um, but he was like, "Okay, we're gonna start figuring this out." And he basically declared Calastia a sovereign state, 
um, he and the it's interesting the nobility of this region are of Lydian descent um, who are kind of an olive skin people not strictly Caucasian I would say but paler and and but the majority of the other people who live in this region are of Elzin descent which is slightly darker not super dark but browner and tall-ish so uh there is that so there's definitely that that sort of dichotomy of like the the nobility are definitely kind of paler than the, the common people but there's a lot of mixing and stuff in that area as well but um so that was something that i think is was kind of interesting there that they've they sort of established that the ladians were I think that's where a lot of that that impression comes in. It's interesting. Anyway, that's more of a reflection of what we talked about last week. <laughs> leading. Elzen or leading? Elzen. Okay, Elzen. Yeah. All right. It helps when I unmute myself for the for everyone else. So I'm going to back up and say my impression was that the uh, at this time, um, essentially the Elzin Empire was expanding and contracting, and expanding, and contracting. Like they they kept not trying to dominate necessarily, but they you know there was like this certain expansion of their people, and then the Ladians came in and essentially said, hey, we're gonna we're gonna claim this territory. Y'all don't have to leave but you're now citizens of this and not the Elzin Empire. And I think they were okay Pretty with that. Bad. They were just like, all right. Well, and most commoners didn't give a crap yeah. unless you made them like fight in a war or exactly. something. So they were just like, um, except that they will give a crap in a minute as I go into the history. Yeah. <laughs> these nobles don't necessarily do the best job at right. saying, this is mine now. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so he was king for a while. He died. Um, after he, he was he ruled for about 11 years and then um, there was a bit of a bit of a mess he only had one child a daughter and there was a bit of a sexism at the time and they were like no it has to be a son and so but she and she was also like a kid she was eight years old so they were like she can't rule anyway she's like a little kid what do you expect and there's a great picture of like this little girl and this big you know scary gray-haired dude behind her um <laughs> that, that's her um so she didn't she didn't really rule um as uh, duke of rofer um which is one of the duchies in uh calastia now at this point um basically went, i will i will be her regent and i will rule and the nobility all freaked out because they're like, how come you get to do it? You know, and, and of course there was a bunch of mess and it was like, we'll just marry her off and then her husband will rule. And of course this guy was like, you know, 60 and that didn't make sense. <laughs> so he basically invaded a bunch of people and took over and said, no, mine. Um, and ruled for like two whole years. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, uh, and that, cause that didn't really work out. Um, uh, so he, he held her captive, then he had her killed, which was pretty awful. He basically cut her head off. Um, the little girl, just really super sad. And I was like, this guy's pretty awful. This right? is a good date for, you know, and I'm kind of glad he only ruled for two years. Um, so 
the people weren't happy because this is very disruptive. It's like we were supposed to have this queen, blah. Um, and so the next person to really take over, and and in my mind, has really started what I would call the line of what eventually becomes Verduck's line, um, is King uh, Vashith. Uh, he, uh, and he was really the first Chardon follower, and the first to really push that, and and it's all his heirs that that became the rulers of Calastia after that. So he took over because he, frankly, just had the chops to do it. He was one of the... He fought the Divine War. He was pretty badass. He knew what he was doing. Um, and kind of knew, understood the politics of the area pretty well. And people were like, okay, yeah, this guy doesn't suck. And he's not, you know, killing 10-year-old kids <laughs> for power. <laughs> um, although it's like, he still wears his shirt in, so you go um so he gets some help from the chardini dwarves and ended up taking over um he rules for not very long six years um and then uh his son Del i think his i want to get this right because I, I only just read this yesterday yeah. <laughs> uh what do you call it? Um, a full disclosure. Uh, right? This was a, For transparency. Of 30-something books. So yeah, transparency. Of the 30-something, 40 books, this is the only one I hadn't read. <laughs> and it is a, <laughs> so it is a heavy... It's not like it's much it thicker, like, but it is so yeah. text-heavy that like reading through it is a bit like mind-numbing. <laughs> it, was, it was written by Justin uh, Achille. Achille, A C H I L L I. See, I can't, I can't even pronounce real people's names. Um, never mind fake fantasy people names. He was a, a long time, or is, I assume he's still around. Um, he's probably like, screw you, I'm like a famous developer. Yeah, he, um, I don't know. He was White Wolf, did a ton of vampire books, um, and they brought him in to write this. Nice. Um, because this was back when they were all kind of under the yeah. same umbrella. So he worked on like a hundred vampire titles. So. He knows yeah. stuff, but he's definitely. This book is very old school fantasy kind of writing. Mm -hmm. It's very yeah. heavy, and not just heavy in terms of dense text, but big words. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a lot to it's a lot to digest as you're reading it, and it's he he really goes into a lot of the the politics of the area like, as like, opposed like, to. Uh, I'm just going to read one sentence just to give you a sense of how thick this book is and why up until now I hadn't read it. <laughs> Thus began the policy of decentralization that would continue throughout the remainder of Vashith's dynasty only to terminate upon the ascension of King Verduck. <laughs> I mean, okay, that one wasn't that bad. I, it was probably maybe a bad sentence, but I was like, Okay, decentralization. Continue. Yeah, okay, that that's not a bad. That's not a bad <laughs> there's other there's other times that they were bad. I just literally picked a random sentence by like looking. Um. Uh. Anyway, it's it's heavy. <laughs> um, so I'm trying to remember it all. Um. So, anyway, a couple of kings later, and then you ended up with Delusk. Delusk. D e l i s. -K. I mean, really, if you what it's Delisuck. Sorry. 
Yeah, it's Deli <laughs> Suck. You're right. You're right. Uh, and I kind of think this guy sucks. Um, Delusi. Delusi. For... Yeah, I, I, every time I say it, I'm just like, Deli Suck. Damn, that's probably not this how it's pronounced. <laughs> 17 years. Yeah. Um, and here's where I, I pause. <laughs> upon this guy so this guy was this guy did the probably kind of the most expansionist in terms of Calestia. so up until now it was sort of like we have this area we're trying to you know get it together post-war and fix things and blah 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 um he uh this guy was kind of different did a different policy um he really went into uh infrastructure he built up the navy he did a lot of good things, but he was still kind of a jerk. <laughs> I'll explain why in a minute. So he did a lot of good things, He, he uh, but he also did some bad things, and they started invading Anquila, which was the neighboring area, and started taking land. And I can tell you, like, looking at this thing, this section here in western Calastia did not belong to Calastia back then. This, they, they started stealing land from Anquila. Um, and, and all of these other areas around Calastia were all kind of going through their own upheaval political right. nightmares at the same time because everybody was recovering from the war. Everybody was trying to figure this thing out. Add to that, in the middle of this whole region, this forest called currently called Galita's Grove at the time was called the Fiendish Forest. <laughs> and <laughs> kid you not. Spoilers, but to time. name the Fiendish Forest later after your wife... <laughs> Well, I, I'll, I'll get to that. Get to that. <laughs> but, but it was sorry. the Finnish forest, and it was it was inhabited by well monsters, not necessarily devils or fiends, but certainly horrors and spider eye goblins and hags and all sorts of nasty things. And Mormo left behind several traps and nasty shit in this forest. Um, so you've got this threat here mm-hmm. of wherever you live in this region of like little monsters coming out, <laughs> screwing with your people. So this is a dangerous area for that reason alone um, a lot of other reasons but for the reason alone is a very dangerous area so um, so you have to deal with that so so he's trying to develop this country trying to establish order big chardoon follower so he's like you know it must be orderly you know blah 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 and um, I don't know if it's important so, to point out but I do find it interesting about I'm going to read Franz Del Isuk was that he wasn't actually the first in line to be king. His older brother Reveth oh, yeah. was, and um, so I feel like Del Isuk was like not raised to be king. Yeah, that's and true. That's so true. it's his. It's just in, like it just interests me how maybe a, a child that was raised to do something else as a noble ended up being king and maybe that colored how he ran things like who knows so you were gonna say continue well they got they got the three pages on this guy yeah and he does all this stuff and then and then the th- there was a section that struck me like personally <laughs> reading all this so i don't know i'm, I'm kind of skipping over because there's like three pages of this guy so he did a lot then it, when it came to his heirs um he had at least three kids um he uh, died in uh, AD 36. So it's, it's 36 years since the end of the war and he's already the fourth flipping king of Calastia. <laughs> These are short reigns. <laughs> um, 
so he he dies of illness um probably uh something he acquired in the uh due to the ever-spreading blood sea which wasn't as big as it is today but was certainly um and and they said that he because he, he built up the navy that right. he probably caught something in the sea that killed him um his eldest son uh thurvid and this is the part that i was like the hell um <laughs> the thurvid was overlooked his eldest daughter was overlooked, not just because of sexism, and the the, uh, the the inheritance went to his second eldest son, his third child. Um, why? <laughs> now it's it can be like, oh, because you know they were they were sick or they were both no, because they were both gay, <laughs> and I was like, the hell, <laughs> really, really, um, and it's so vaguely written that I was like. Wow, this was this this book was written in two thousand one, um, and I feel almost uncomfortable reading this bit out loud, but I, but I feel like I need to. Um, the king's eldest son, Thurvid, was certainly not deemed a suitable heir. A known homosexual, and I was like, they used the big word, <laughs> right? Possessed uh, of a body more suited to the library than the throne. Thurvid was sent off to the temples of Chardun before reaching his age of maturity in what was widely considered a remarkable turn of events. Even at this early time, the clerical orders were generally a place for third and fourth sons of the aristocracy, where they wouldn't burden their noble father's coffers with indolent lifestyles and little return. Thurvid's effective removal from the list of potential claimants to the crown was noteworthy, the subject of much gossip. Delisuk's next oldest child, however, his daughter, Domina, 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 we'll go with that, was also <laughs> a known homosexual, the big word again, who refused to, quote, to, refused to be, quote, married away to be the loveless object of any man's gropings, unquote. When her father threatened to see her married against her will, she assured him that doing so would only sentence some poor fool of a, no a, fool of a noble to an early grave. <laughs> like, if you marry me to some dude, I'm just going to kill him, Dad. Word of her threat reached the ears of the courts of Calastia, and all offers of marriage were hastily withdrawn. <laughs> we don't want her to kill me. Um, thus, a spinster... So gay marriage, not illegal, not legal in Calastia at this time. So, thus, a spinster, even before her father's death, Domnia was placed in the care of an asylum before matter of primo... This is where I was like, big words, buddy. Before the matter of primogeniture even arose. She vanishes completely from the history in the year of Deluc's death, although it is worth noting that the asylum maintains no record either of her discharge or her mortality. A few whisper that she became a hag. Well, this is fun. Right? Who stalks the plains of Armanoff to this night? But this deserves mention only as a curiosity of the Calastian peasantry who excel at concocting such ghost tales. So, so I've done read these two paragraphs. Right. I just have to <laughs> I, so like, I have to point out that Fran is like, I'm looking for a place to write her into the future, and I'm sitting here thinking she's still oh, yeah, showing yeah, yeah, yeah. up in like the, the curiosity cache. She used to show up sometime. <laughs> okay, this was like a hundred years ago, but yeah. still I want to use her too. And, um, and before and, and I, before we started the the show today, you and I talked about this about how um yeah, this is pretty <laughs> shitty. And is it a shitty thing for a writer to include? It depends on their intent, you know, like, 
if that was the there... we don't know I, I don't know the right writer like um uh, and a lot of these are written from the point of view of the book yeah this is written meant to be written from the point of view this this chapter is written from the perspective of a Calastian historian right looking for Verduck who's writing this thing out for him to be like this is your this is the history of your country and right. blah, blah, blah. So it's totally written. It's totally biased in that sense. And a lot of, a lot of these Scarlands books are written this way where you'll get uh, a couple chapters that are clearly just written by the author and like, here's some plot hooks and there's how the stats work and, you know, D and D kind of stuff. But then you'll get these background chapters that are very biased in writing. Yeah. Like, um, why a joke that that it's clear what Yugmund not even joke why I state that it's clearly that Yugmund has a personality because he writes a lot of these are written by Yugmund right not this one obviously um, but like the Mithril book is written by one of the one of the priests of Corian um, so so you you always get a colored perspective um, and they do this intentionally so this specific chapter of the book is written by some Glastian like actually I can I can quote it from the beginning exactly what it is. And you can even tell, I mean, you can tell that his or her, I think it's his viewpoint is obviously along the lines of, yeah, you know, because if you were on the other side of things, like Sarah, if you were writing about this guy, you wouldn't be all like, yes, because this homosexual dared to do this and his, you know, little library form and stuff. You, yeah, yeah. You yeah. can tell that this is a is a mindset that at least some of the people of Calastia still have. Um, as yeah. Fran points out, you and her did canonize that Calastia is currently modern day, okay with homosexuality. Yeah, yeah they, 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 mind you, slavery is legal there, so right. there's that problem. But but we canon <laughs> we we have said in canon that that homosexuality is legal in Calastia. They don't throw people in asylums for it. Um, now the nobility at this time, or actually really the king, um, because both of these older kids were pushed off while he was still alive, argument could be made, and, and actually, uh, in so much as any authority assured me this was the case, um, the king was basically a homophobe. Um, <laughs> so, because I, I went and went to one of the sources for this. I didn't go to the guy who wrote it, but I went to the, uh, developer who ran the, um, the book, uh, Joe Karkar, who I know is, uh, can I say, uh, would certainly not, he's very pro-LGBT, he's part of the community, um, and he, um, he was young, he was in his 20s when he developed this. The writer was much older, he'd been, he was, been doing uh, uh, tabletop development writing for a really long time. So you've got basically a guy who's in charge of a guy who's way his senior and and way more experienced. So it's like, how do you push back on that? So, you know, and, and making a decision really early in your career. And so what Joe told me was, you know, it's really early in my career. This is one of my first books I developed. I wasn't going to push back on this. <laughs> you know, how do you make a call here? And I was like worried I was going to lose my job. So, you know, I wasn't I wasn't going to push back on that. <laughs> I'm like, okay that's not too bad it's like it just disappoints me because it's one of the only references to anything real anything 
LGBT slash queer related in any of these early books. Yeah. And it's like, oh, and the, and the gay, guy, gay lesbian goes to an asylum. Right. Yeah. So it, and it's Fran, really cringy for me. In chat, Fran pointed out that, you know, you got to have kids um, as the king and or queen. And that yeah. that is true. Um, there have been a lot of uh, fictional stories where essentially if you're not pumping out kids then you can't be the the ruling family because who's gonna pick up your mantle because of course it has to be your son you know or whatever she could have gotten a sperm donor and been like you know (laughs) i don't know the whole like i'm gonna stab someone in the face it would have been easier yeah right the first son to figure it out (laughs) be like just marry this person have a baby and you can be whoever you want to be after that would yeah, a, you're right, you're right. A, I don't know, a, a better solution? I don't know if there was a good solution. Yeah. I don't think there yeah. is a, well, this would have been I, ideal. The good solution would have been not to write in this in the first place, but in my opinion. <laughs> but, like, let's do something interesting when we're making up our fiction of this of this line. Because every, you know, every one of these going to the next king, they made it interesting. They're like, yeah. okay, this guy died in battle, this guy, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, there was a thing where his own, the older brother died and the younger brother had to figure it. So there's always this something interesting. So like, like, okay, we're going to add something interesting here. And I'm just like, did you really have to do this though? This sort of sucks. <laughs> so that's I my do, opinion anyway. I, I yeah, do like, um, while I personally don't agree with the, the politics yeah. or the concept, I, it does open up a lot of options for a heroic party who doesn't agree with these things to go in and like if they were playing during that time frame you know help the daughter or even nowadays i i so am trying to figure out what to do with this this lost this lost princess princess. (laughs) oh it's so fun uh so like even the crap history is still you can play off it as a as a dm trying to spin good things i think why it bothers me is most of the negatives even those from the perspective of of a bad guy most of the negatives are twisted in a way to be like this is negative so i'll get to it a little bit later when we um and we talk about imperial expansion is well is that in general they don't make it sound like the Calastian nobility are good guys you know at no point are you on their really on their side right um, and, and as they're doing a lot of these things, it's like, yeah, this is an example of bad behavior. And, um, and it's described such in such a way, even from the perspective of this, even in the intro here, this, this scholar who wrote this for Verdux says, um, uh, I am, uh, while I'm a true patriot and well aware of the greatness of Calastia over the lesser sovereign nations, no civilization is without flaw. And only by seeing our flaws can we be aware of the errors that drive us to make and thus avoid the same errors in the future. So he's all like, I'm sorry, Verduck, your history's a bit squicky. <laughs> um, just so you know, please don't cut my head off. You know? right. and, 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 and that's like kind of the excuse for the author to be like, not all of this is good, you know. But then again, like, none of it is. Um, I mean, you know, Verduck himself is not, he's lawful evil, you know, by that. But it just just bothered me because most of the other examples of kind of negative things are explicitly, yeah, this is a bad thing. (laughs) And this one isn't. And I think that's why it bothers me so much because it's just sort of this thing that happens in the background and it's like, really? Okay, that sucks. 
But anyway, moving on, I think I've spent too much time talking about this <laughs> issue because it affected me personally. Um, his third kid takes the throne. Um, and then we get to uh, Rail and what does he do that's interesting? Um, who's younger and again, didn't really necessarily expect it. Um, but uh, he, what's his big thing? He was uh, big on uh, more of conquering, uh, as I recall. Uh, lots of fighting, lots of battle, and uh, expansion, more expansion of Calastia. And a lot of this history, as I said before, Calastia and Kila are at war a lot during, as, Cal as Calastia sort of taking over. Um, and then, uh, it's around this time, uh, the kind of the next king, um, Verduck's father, takes over. Um, Corlos, and you know, there's many years, lots of campaigning, and I'm, I'm glossing over like three more pages of this book. <laughs> Exaggerating. Corlos um, takes over his his Frail's son, um, his oldest son. Nothing funky there. Uh, Frail uh, died in battle, meting the warrior's death. Um, and Corlos, uh, instead of like going back to the front where his father died and kind of finishing that fight stays in the capital and just lets his father's generals resolve that and the generals are like we're gonna retreat and hold what we got and not lose what we got so far which was probably a really smart thing because then Corlos didn't die in battle like his dad and they could sort of cement their holdings and he went back in and, and went back to building infrastructure and then expanding in other areas and getting more involved in politics um and more in terms of policy and less in terms of expansion, which I think it's interesting because it was kind of that feeling of every other king, like one would expand, one would infrastructure, one would expand, one would infrastructure, except for Verduck, who manages to do both. Um, but but it's, it's general, it's certainly that sense is in the 30 odd years that he's king, um, it's more about policy and infrastructure than, than um, conquering until kind of the end. Um, because he does uh, send out, uh, they, they develop an interest in a colony in Termana during um, Corlos's reign. Is they're, they're Termana, whole continent away, whole, half an ocean away, across the Blood Sea to get there. And so difficult to, to arrive to. And they don't have like easy magic to get there. You know, adventure, adventurers can just use teleport, you know. <laughs> so they don't they don't have that yet. There's none none of that's established. This is three O canon, so teleportation circle isn't a thing either. Right. <laughs> um and also in in the canon rules, in even in fifth edition, you cannot easily teleport across the Blood Sea. Um there are actually in game rules, um that even when you normally wouldn't have a mishap chance, um, like with teleportation circle or greater teleport, you still have a mishap chance if you're crossing the Blood Sea, because it's sort of a, it's it's because it's breaky, basically. Yeah. Um, so it is not easy to get to Tremont. People mostly use boats. It's either very expensive, risky teleport, or you're using a boat. <laughs> Frankly, how long it takes to get there. 
I don't want to get into that. At least open for debate. <laughs> open for debate? <laughs> a month? I'd say, I mean, uh, think, I mean, in terms of technology, I, okay, another, whole another conversation. Anyway, uh, we can talk about that later. We'll talk about the Blitzy. Um, but uh, it, they, he establishes basically a foothold in Termana for trading, and a bunch of missionaries, <laughs> Charduni missionaries, or Chardunite, Char Chardunite is the race, that's confusing. Char Chardun worshipping missionaries show up in Termana and start basically establishing like a church there and um and they find some some humans who are like who are you guys and, and they just sort of like we're just gonna set up a place here uh, but not a whole heck of a lot is done until verduck takes over so corliss is getting older verduck is getting arrogant and um arrogance is the right word ambitious which is the wrong word ambitious very very ambitious he's in his like mid-20s and he's basically like i'm tired of waiting <laughs> And he stabs his father in the neck. Um, he kills him. <laughs> and there Patricide. he is. The man himself, King Verduck. Verduck. He's Hello, so Verduck. happy um, looking. Yes. So he basically is like, um, this is mine now. And nobody really argued with this point. And he uh, basically just steals the throne. And this is, and that, mind you, that picture is when he's like an old man. This is right, when he was right. like in his twenties. Yeah, yeah, this is back, current uh, Verduck. Like, yeah, yeah. This was, so this would have taken place around AV, AV ninety, so sixty years 60 from years, yeah. before present. It was when he stabbed his dad and took over the throne. And not to say it was completely peaceful, but um, he he was just like, you know, this is my thing. Um, but one of the other things that had happened during this time that's important to note is there was this uh, series of events around what's called the Druid War. Um, over way the freck over here. Um, basically, Druids, uh, not Druids of Denev, but Druids of Titans um, were fighting the Elves of Eritrea up in this region. And there was this um, big, huge kind of like conference um, treaty meeting thing um, or in Veritrae where uh, the elves basically sought help from all around Gelspad, all of the d divine followers to say, would you help us fight these druids and, and help with this? And a bunch of areas committed to helping. Um, Vesh, certainly, and then the Lights of Mithril, and all of these area, other regions were like, yes, we will help you fight these titan spawn titan-worshipping druids. Sounds great. And Calestia, Verduck's dad, threw in his thing. It's like, yes, yes, sure, we'll help. Chardun's behind this. Sounds good. Um, and they were supposed to commit a whole mess of troops to go fight the the uh, titan-worshipping druids. And the titan- and the, and the druid wars were terrible. I mean, basically the first big major conflict since the war, and now it's about 90 years after the war. It lasted several years. It's a big freaking mess in the middle of the continent. Um, but Verduck takes over right about when the troops are supposed to leave for this. And he's like, just kidding. Come home. Just kidding. Yeah. And instead of sending them off to like thousands of miles away, he's like, actually, actually, we're going to go and take some territory nearby. <laughs> and they go in and they're like, we've already kind of got half of Enkila. We're going to finish taking Enkila and we're going to go up to Lajani. And around this area, and he basically starts stomp, stomp, stomping all over this 
whole area in the south and sending his troops to take over. Uh, Lagany uh, is pretty much the first, well, Ankyla and Lagany are the first two, two nations to kind of become enfolded in the, what become later is the Calastian hegemony. Um, and Lagany uh, was um, basically converted to following Chardun. They had followed, you know, a bunch of the gods at that time. And Chardun takes over, and this Elidian uh, no noble, who wasn't a Calastian Lydian, but but you know, one of the other descendants of the, the of the various Lydian nobility. Um, I think he's Lydian. Uh, Duke Trevik. So not even a king. Uh, basically takes control of Lagini and is like, yeah, we'll ally with you. Calastia sounds good, and they take over that thing. Um, and then uh, he goes. Then Verduck goes into New Veneer, and the emperor there, Emperor um, Dares, I think that's his name. Um, he uh, basically it's overthrown. I think he, I don't remember if Verduck kills him or not, but his son bows to Verduck. It's like, yes, I'll join your your thing, your 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 unity. Um, and he just basically bows, and he does not take the title of emperor. He continues the title of prince under Verduck, effectively. And Veneer, Veneer at the time it was called, gets retitled New Veneer, and become, and joins the hegemony. And they also take over Zakitsky, and that's ruled by a claptrap, so not even a noble. And then a bunch of land is taken away from Zakitsky and the neighboring region. And Verduck creates a new country out of it, um, called the Heteronomy of Verduck. And at the time, living there was, and in the old old book, it was well, the new, old and new book actually both. It was basically where a bunch of halfling refugees ended up. Um, I've talked about this a little bit before. The halflings just have the, the shit in Gale in Galesbad, certainly, and not necessarily all of Skarn. But they have the worst everything. <laughs> um, they're like everybody shits on the halflings. They're they're just nobody appreciates them. They get kind of tossed about. All the other races are just like, whatever. They're like little children. We don't care. Um, they treat them poorly. And most halflings, if they try to get in society with other races, either end up servants or end up or become criminals because they really can't get anywhere. It's, you know, it's straight up. If you want to go into true racism behaviors, the halflings get the short end of the everything. Yeah. So Verduck does something unique and gives them their own country. He's like, I appreciate that these people have a lot of ability. They're good in a fight. Yeah, they're short, but they're tenacious and they're powerful they're strong and they have talent and there's plenty of them who have skills and abilities they're uh, why are we shortchanging them they're they're not they're just shorter than us that's like the only downside here <laughs> and they can do a ton of other things she's a good craftsman they're good they're, they're good at all these things so he, he recognizes that and establishes this country and as i said there were already a bunch of halflings living there there used to be a halfling community slash country in what is now the Haggard Hills, but the Haggard Hills were basically 
just destroyed outright during the war. So nothing can grow there. And as um, the survivor, well, they wouldn't have survived it. They, it happened during the cataclysm, but part of the cataclysm, they were, they were basically fleeing from that area. Um, blood steps were too dangerous. So they kind of ended up here because there were just all these dangerous areas. So they ended up in this, a lot of halflings ended up in this area. And he was just like, country established, halfling rule. <laughs> Done. And the halflings think Verdock is the bomb. Yeah. They're like, yes, he gave us a country. We think he's awesome. And they don't follow Chardoon, but they do think Verdock is like, yeah, we're putting him on the money. You know, <laughs> right. he's amazing. Um, and they love him. They absolutely love him. They like, think he's great. They so think so much so that this book, uh, the 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 one you were holding up, Clastia, the yeah, yeah. I don't mind it with the, me, but yeah, that book has Black a, Dragon. Yeah, has a class in it called the Halfling Stalker, and you have to be a halfling to be the class. And essentially, these halflings are part of Verduck's army, or at least military, and they are a group of halflings that just like revere him so much, like they are absolutely loyal to him, and. The fact that they made an, just like an entire class because of this shows how important Verdeck is to them. No matter yeah, how other people feel about him. <laughs> I don't. Can we. Is the stuff in the Scarlands playtests under NDA? The playtests. Weren't they public? I don't know which one you're talking about, so I don't know. Okay. Um. <laughs> The, the ones that were online that you could sign up to play. Oh, in. oh, the, so, uh, yeah, so the stuff for... Um, they're, yeah, they're public, okay. Yugman's so, and... So I just uh, got a yes, they are from yeah. the other room. Going to Yugman's guide. So there were some playtests. I don't know what what's going to happen. I'm, I have no insight into this. But I know that a lot of the um, prestige classes in this book were part of that, one of those playtests. Nice. And I don't believe they've released yet. So I am suspecting either a Calastia... Thing is going to come out for uh, Visual Watch or Yugman's Guide yeah. or something related to this because most, if not all, of these prestige classes were part of one or, one or more of those playtests. I was like, I remember looking at the and and we're talking Lasting Battle Mage, Dragon Knight, Halfling Stalker, um, at least those three, uh, I believe, are going to be showing up. I don't know about, so it's about half of them. Yeah. Um, so I, I think we'll see those coming up for fifth edition as a conversion for nice. one of the future books in the next few months. So yay! Yeah. Yeah. So we, we may be talking about Calastia prematurely. We may have to revisit when that book comes out. <laughs> I don't know if it's going to be a Visual Watch or Yugman's Guide. So I'm sure it'll um, be a Visual Watch um, as far as the maybe. lore side of it goes. Yeah. So don't know, but but. I literally don't know about it. I just know I got to play test a dragon knight <laughs> at one point several months ago. Right. <laughs> so I was like, hey, I play tested one of these. And there's the third so, edition art for dragon knights because they are definitely a thing in the in class. Yeah, yeah. No, they're they're cool. I am, I I am I, I think a lot of these classes are neat. Although dragon knight. You had to be in a certain. Anyway, I don't want to get into the play test. Uh, my my play test went funny, because um, I tried to, I pl tried to play test too many things at once, and they didn't, they didn't mesh well. <laughs> These things happen. So, yeah. 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 So yeah. 
Oh, I think we're going to see, um, we're going to, it's not on the, it is, yeah, um, we're going to see the, uh, Iron Bread's coming up too soon, nice. I think, as well. Yeah, um, if, if, and this is me guessing, not because I've been told by anybody, but, um, but I, what, what was one of the other, um, other things in the playtest also were some of the, uh, the Iron Bread slash shoe jack stuff, so. I'm totally guessing kind of been future vigil watches, but we're not done seeing Yugman guides and vigil watches. Absolutely not. Much Absolutely more to come. Not. Yes, at least each. <laughs> at least one of each. Maybe more than one of each. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. So uh, anyway, um, where was I? Right, history production. So, so he's taken over. He starts establishing all these things. Um, um, but before he finishes all that conquest, I kind of jumped ahead a bit. Um, uh, kind of a horrible thing happens uh, in AD 12. So he, at that point, had been ruling about 20 years. Um, he'd gotten Lajani, and I believe he only had Ankila and Lajani at that point, and he was still trying to expand. And this event, this multi-year event, occurred called the Blood Monsoons, which they kind of, they, there was a monsoon, but then there was like multiple ones <laughs> in sequence that happened. Um, and these um, had a lasting effect on on this whole region for for many years. Of you know, basically, Eastern Gelsbad was was just under lockdown in a lot of ways that we can feel familiar with. Um, but in, due to weather and other and monsters, yeah. So something, maybe Queen Ran, who knows? Some Cadam thing decided to just invade Gelsbad for a decade or more and started sending. Uh, blood rain, like literally raining blood, uh, as just colossal thunderstorm monsoons across the continent, across this this half of the continent, um, and were a lot of what caused this this whole area, the swamp, the blood rain wood, blood rain wood clue right there, and the morning marshes um, to really coalesce the way they are by AD 150. Um, the Hornswythe River flowed backwards it was so you know a river which you know mountain drip through the lake and the thing uh flowed backwards and this which was used to be like where they took the rock out that they threw catamen a blood basin becomes was just a small lake becomes this massive thing because the water flowed backwards so it was really bad yeah um and like i said this this took place across like a good decade and the other thing that happened was because there was like, is it just weather? Is it just weather? And then monsters started coming out of the ocean. <laughs> so, and a lot of it was hit in Calastia because they were coming in down the southern coast. And you would get these massive sea monsters and, you know, release the kraken literally. And, and, and it, like everything nasty was coming out of the sea. So that navy that um, Produk's grandfather had made, um, you know, he's using it to try to fight these monsters. So he, pulls back his troops, deals with that for a good decade, which pretty much stops the Clastian expansion for quite some time. Um, and the rest of the, and basically the rest of the East Coast is just dealing with this for, for this good decade. Um, and then eventually this flying island thing, fortress, flying fortress shows up um, that they later called Skykeep. It comes out of Maybe nowhere, Termana. Maybe we don't know where it came from. Somewhere, um, flies over the Blood Sea, does something awesome, 
Um, blood monsoons stop, and it crashes uh, up near Bridge City. <laughs> Whole nother plot there. So there's basically Skykeep Ruins is this cool, like, flying city that crashed into the Skeldar Mountains. Great place to run a game of, like, let's go blow the Skykeep Ruins. Um, what, who knows what's up there now? Right. Um, so, yeah, so Laputa basically rescues the Blood Monster. Miyazaki movie. Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> flying Island. Oh, well, not not Flying Island. Flying um, Flying Keep. Um, flying Castle. Not Castle in the Sky. Um, flying Island's a whole different other thing. Um, so that happens. So, Blood Monsoon ends. Verdock is like, we don't have to fight sea monsters anymore? Okay, let's go back to our conquering business. <laughs> and then Finally. It's conquering, yep. Uh, so, by the end, he has, as I said, six countries. He also conquered what you don't see on my crap map um, is... This isn't a crap map. It's a really nice map, but what you don't see on my map that cut off the corner here is there was also a city-state, uh, Roach, um, which was one of the last areas to fall. I think of it as Calastia as Hong Kong. <laughs> like, um, they... Uh, they basically... Um, they were this uh, Manawi worshiping sea god. They worship the sea goddess. Um, and he, no, and Kili. Kili or Manawi? One of the two. I don't remember. Um, uh, I think Manawi. I think it was Manawi. And um, uh, basically, Radok is like, da da da, it's mine now. And their nobility buggers off and goes all the way to the other side of the continent. All the way down here to Fang and, and founds Fang's Fall. So that was like 20, 30 years ago. And, um, and Verduck kind of takes over. But the people there aren't really happy about it. Um, and it's, it's kind of a mix. Um, some people are happy about it, some people are not. Um, one of the things he does is uh, very much kind of a, a, a conquering colonial kind of vibe where he's like, I'll give you the resources to go move to our colony in Termana if uh, you, you know, basically say good things about me and and they're okay with me and they're like okay we will and a bunch of people from Roak go to uh the colony in Termana and and going back to Termana it's like I said the last the, kind of the very last most most recent area that Calastia has taken over so Calastia Empire yes across two continents feels familiar <laughs> feels very European um during that that era they set up a colony in north central Termana. And uh, it's the time of Verduck's father. It's just this little kind of not much going on. Verduck is like, no, we're going to actually establish some roots there and make it cool. So they build this really nice, relatively modern city there. Um, try to expand beyond that, but funding kind of dries up <laughs> as Verduck is like, starts channeling his funding to some other projects but they like initially they do really really well and then in recent years not quite as well it's also incredibly dangerous area as it sits right up right across the um bay i guess you yeah. call it the inlet um is a blood bayou which is an insanely dangerous place and on the other side there's the elven uh and elven kingdoms who aren't really that happy 
that this we initially weren't very happy about this but this was a land that wasn't well it was being used at the time so saying it wasn't being used is a complete lie but it wasn't being used by the elves at the time <laughs> so we'll put a bad caveat in it had been uh totally wrecked by Cadam's deluge um during the war um the people living there were were eking out a meager survival and that region was basically humans and gnolls and and they were like barbarian kind of humans so which isn't to say that they were barbarians they just really have any, any established settlements because everything was destroyed during the war right so they were like eking out an existence of what they could based on having their original homes 100 years ago destroyed Verduck shows up with his missionaries, well, not Verduck personally, but Verduck sends his missionaries out there, and they're like, ah, we have these native barbarians here to teach the ways of the gods. And they're like, what? No, we, we had a civilization that just got trashed. <laughs> um, hi? Who are you? Um, we worship the spirit? So they're not, they're not, they don't follow the gods, they don't necessarily follow the titans, they're just sort of people. And then there's these gnolls, who, no, Titan spawn barbarians, um, who actually had culture <laughs> and, and stuff. They're not just, you know, they're, they're really cool people, actually, and they're, to call them Titan spawn is, they're, they're not following a Titan. They're not trying to resurrect a Titan. They just live there. But these missionaries make some assumptions and basically take over and start building stuff. But they actually do much as they do kind of bad stuff, they do do some good stuff. They build and reclaim a lot of the land that was lost in the in the um, deluge. Um, they build aqueducts, they build seawalls, and a lot of the land that was basically lost under the Blood Sea, they, they kind of reclaim and bring back. So think about like, um, uh, yes, seawalls a la, a la New Orleans or uh, uh, the Netherlands kind of thing, um, and they just they just rebuild it up. So and and fix a lot of the ecology from the destruction of of Cadam's blood and kind of reverse a lot of that damage. So they did some good things. It wasn't all, you know, good things, bad things. <laughs> the gnolls still weren't happy, but um, Silverduck's like this is mine too. <laughs> Um, but in recent years, according to at least the original lore, um, Verduck's put less and less money into this colony um, over the last 20 years or so. And that's because after he got all of this madness, uh, not oh, in recent times, he took over, he started continuing to expand. Because he's got this idea that he's going to take all of Gelsbad. Now, he's like, at this point in the story... He's ruled Calastia for 60 years. He was already in his mid-20s when he took over. So this guy's like in his 80s. He is not young. He's one of the... Now, as humans go, he's not young. <laughs> there are rulers in this... In Gelsbad that are way like older than he is. But, but as humans, he's not young. And he has no heir. Out of that. Anyway, so he takes over Irontooth Pass, um, pretty much, which used to belong to the dwarves of Barak Torn, and is the major trade route between um, uh, Vesh and, and the north to the south. 
basically if you're coming down from here you would go down Ardwin's tier go through iron go down to Baroque Torn for Baroque Torn go through Iron Tooth Pass to get to Lagany and New Veneer um all, the altered way would be to take the Annie River Annie River is a heck of a lot more dangerous um and you're also going the wrong direction so pretty easy coming south harder going north because you're going against the direction of the river um so they took over Iron Tooth Pass tough to cross that now. <laughs> um, so if you're, if you're allied with the Calastians, pretty easy. And now they're starting to take, trying to conquer Dorover, which is this cute little country tucked in between the Keldar Mountains and the Blood Rain Woods and the Corian's Clef. Corian's Clef. <laughs> which was made when Corian, like, seriously, not exaggerating, made when Corian dropped his sword and it, trying to attack, um, presumably it was Golthaga? Not 100% on whether it was Golthog or not, but in one of the battles of the war, he made that with his massive sword because gods. Right. Um, so that happened. Um, so Durover is sitting here, and they're pretty peaceful, groovy people, and then the Calastians are like, ours, you're right next to us, we want you too. Um, so Calastians have been trying to take over them for the last so many years. So that's kind of the, the current state today. So Burdock channels money and forces away from Verduck's promise, his colony in Termana, to fight dwarves of Borak Torn and the citizens of Durover. Um, and also various forces from the north because they're concerned about this invasion and or allies with um, some of these people have sent in help. So Durover in particular, Vesh has sent in some help uh, for them, and Barak Torn has gotten support in recent years from various northern nations, although the dwarves tend to be pretty... They don't like asking for help, <laughs> so you don't get a lot of, like... Yeah, and we talked about the dwarves already, so... Um, why Verduck is so interested in this? How spoilery can I go? Sure. Should I go into one of my head cannons? My head cannons. So I mentioned a little bit ago, Verduck's looking for immortality, or not immortality, but he's getting old. So one of the things he's looking for is an heir and/or immortality. I didn't say, so. but I'm saying it now. So he's eighty-something years old, and he knows he's you know his human years go. He's getting old. He's getting frail. So uh, he's in dire need of of uh, continuing on. Um, at minimum, he wants an heir, but he's also worried about getting an heir because, you know, he stabbed his dad in the neck. Who's to say his kid isn't going to stab him in the neck? Because that's a thing. <laughs> um, and he's had many wives. None of them have given him an heir so far. Maybe not their problem, but whatever. And he's, you can't give me an heir, I did you. So uh, a while ago, he met this sorceress, very powerful sorceress, from Albadia, which is... We haven't talked about them yet much. They're way the heck up north. Um, uh, tall, very, very, very pale people. Blonde, Nordic-esque looking. Um, Mar meets the sorceress um, and falls in love. And she's like, you know, a quarter his age. <laughs> but that's okay. Fertile, you know. New, uh, uh, and she's a, a, a Galita. And they fall in love, and she's like, "Yes, I will give you an heir, and I will try to, and I will give you power, and we, maybe we can work on this immortality thing because I'm a powerful sorceress." So, 
So there's that. And they marry, and uh, he gives her, he annexes the um, uh, fiendish forest, he gives it to her as a wedding gift, <laughs> and it is redubbed Galita's Grove, which is really ridiculous because it's obviously not a grove, <laughs> it's massive. <laughs> right? <laughs> Why is it? Huh? Is it right? As far yeah, as the exactly. size? So... Uh, looking at it, it's like half the size of Clastia itself. Yeah, like, it's massive. Like just the class two Yeah. So <laughs> calling it a grove, and I was just like, that's just because they want alliteration, because it's really Galita's forest <laughs> or woods or something, but they Galita's grove. It's that that dire need for alliteration. Right. <laughs> I, that's the only explanation I can come up with. Um anyway, so so that that so he gives her that. Um and they get married, and, and honestly, the people kind of love her, because she's, you know, theoretically going to give him an heir, and she's very charismatic, um, she's a foreign princess, you know, there's that whole air about her, um, but for the most part, people really like her, um, which adds a nice, uh, what do I call it, the, the, the complicated, uh, triumvirate of the rulers of Calastia. I, I feel like I'm skipping all over the place, I apologize. This is kind of where my brain's going. So we talked about a lot about Verduck. You know, father killer, conqueror, ambitious, wants immortality. His wife, powerful sorcerer. She's at this point in AV 150. I think she's in her 30s. Um, and then there's also his royal grand vizier, um, Antius. I know I've historically pronounced that wrong, so I'm going to try to get it right. Yeah, Antius. He's uh, the master of the Calastian battle mages. He's basically a cleric. I mean, not in strictly in the terms of the class sense, although it's um, uh, you know, who knows? But he's a devoutee of Chardun. He's he's a wizard um, and Calastian battle mage. He's basically a wizard fighter in terms of class, but he's incredibly devoted to Chardoon, and incredibly devoted to Verduck. Um, he was Verduck's advisor when Verduck was younger, and was totally behind Verduck, stabbing his dad. Apparently <laughs> seemed to be behind Verduck. He didn't, didn't, didn't complain when it happened in any way. And, um, and has supported Verduck in all of his uh, things. So he's been behind the throne for this whole thing. And you figure at this point, Verduck is in his mid-80s, this guy's gotta be in his, like, Ancient. Yeah. <laughs> he's Magic. Pushing nineties, hundred. I mean, he's got to be really old. But yeah, but he's got the wizard vibe, and wizards just tend to live longer anyway because of magic. So who knows what he's doing for lengthening his life? So this guy's not young. Um, I mean, he wasn't that much older than Verduck, but but he was his advisor growing up. He was sort of like his, not his nanny by any means, but his his sort of teacher, tutor tutor when he was young so I, I just picture you know 25 year old Verduck going I'm gonna stab my dad in the neck and 30 year old um Antius going okay let's do that right <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> so I don't know if that's what happened but you know that's my picture um and so when Verduck falls for Galita Antius is like um oh goody I mean he's like yes good yes make baby you know this is good 
Um, but he's also like, she's got his ear, and she's kind of, she listens to her, and she doesn't always agree with what I think we should do. So, but he also is incredibly devoted to Verduck and, and wants what, you know, and will support whatever Verduck wants. So there's this conflict there that if when he and Galeta don't agree on something, it creates a lot of tension between the three of them. And they both concede to whatever Verduck wants, but yeah. There's also some implication that Galeta has her own motives for things. What? Which is way super secret. So I'm I'm going as I mentioned before, going into spoiler country. Um, and the influences that are on Verduck are not always straight up Chardoon stuff, I would say. Um, because there's things there's two things in, that I've that we've gleaned from the text. One, Galita herself. Um, Galita, while Albadian is is according to deep Spoiler country lore, half Elbadian, half hag. I.e. Her, her mother and her mother's lineage are followers of Mormo, the Titan, and um, the Snake Titan. And so they have their own mega motive. In Galia's Grove, and there's a reason she wanted this forest, even though she might not even consciously know it, and it's not clear from the text whether she knows this or not, there's in Galita's Grove. There's there's lots of nasty stuff in the Grove that you can you can you can run a whole campaign in this one forest because there's all sorts of monsters and whatnot. But in this, the heart of the forest, there's this location called Mormo's Womb, which is this weird magical thing. I'm just gonna leave it at that. <laughs> this weird large magical MacGuffin um, that uh, basically creates life. So if you put something in it, it'll create. Like, like, I throw in a, a tooth, it'll make a tooth monster. You know, I throw in um, a claw, it'll make a claw. It's like monster. the world's worst wishing well. Yeah, yeah. It's not a well, though. It's like, it's like kind of an amorphous blobby thing. thing right. Um, and according to this lore, Verduck and Anatea and and. I always, always, I always say Anateus, it's Antius, went there and saw it once, and they were like, don't go there. That is fucked up. <laughs> Which you like, have to wonder no what, to figure it out, what did they throw in to be like, oh, never mind. They're just or like, did mm. they even throw anything in? Did just something come out? And they were like, just don't go there. And, right. they, and they, they put this, this whole law, like, nobody goes in that section of the woods. It's just not a thing. They have foresters who protect the forest. Um, basically protect the borders from raving monsters that come out of it. And they have giant, like, no one goes there. It's just bad. Titans bunch stuff. Bad, bad, bad. So, but the, the story goes that if Galita goes there and walks into the womb, willingly, she has to do it. Willingly, with full knowledge of what she's doing. So she has to learn about what it is before she does it, because if she walks into it ignorantly, this won't work. If she does it willingly, Mormo could use that as a way of returning. And it's it's this whole giant, and then there's a whole ritual involved in all the other complicated things in Scarlands that they love to. If you in there. haven't watched previous episodes, that's a bad thing. That's a really bad thing. More <laughs> coming back would be very very bad. <laughs> like that's like the whole conceit of nearly every major campaign of Scarlands is stop a Titan from coming back. Right. <laughs> Potentially stop the Slaracians from coming back. Stop the bad things from coming back. Right. Um, 
And so this could be a stop the Titans from coming back plot um, for GMs is, you know, don't let Galita walk into the goo. <laughs> um, goo but, but it says she, it's because she's half human, half hag. So she's half Mormo, half human. For some reason, that's important. And that's part of the, how it would work. Um, she'd have to walk into it willingly and sacrifice herself willingly for Mormo. Now, is Galita willing to do that? Big question. Because it's pretty apparent she loves her duck. Like, like for reals. Not just married him for the, you know, hey, rich and powerful and I get to rule a freaking empire. But she does seem to care about him because he's very charismatic and his people do love him. He's apparently got a great personality. I don't know, but people love him. And she wants to give him an heir. Now, if she has a baby, that baby's quarter hag, that baby could be influenced by Mormo, or maybe the baby could walk into the goo and turn into horrible Mormo. I don't know. So there, there's a whole plot there. Now, can, if she has a baby, would it be Verdux? Because if Verdux's already gone through half a dozen wives before her, is it the wives' fault he hasn't had a kid, or maybe his fault he hasn't had a kid, and I... Probably you know, that one, but... Probably that one, but... It works for your campaign. <laughs> I don't know. And he they've been married for quite a while and she's not had a kid yet, so but he also hasn't offed her, like all the other wives who disappointed him <laughs> or or gotten rid of her or whatever. I, it doesn't stipulate what he did to his his wives who failed him, but I assume it wasn't good. Yeah. They were, um, they were retired. Retire, yeah, it they wasn't clear if he killed them or divorced them or right. just kicked them out. Um but uh she's hardly his first wife. I don't know how many he had, but they just refer to her as his latest wife. <laughs> um, and she's the third his age. <laughs> so um and, and they've been married when did they get married? It was it was several years ago. Um so he's at age actually they say he's seventy. He's seventies and he's been no that doesn't map that he would have been ten when he stabbed his father in the neck. Maybe he was 10 when he stabbed his father in the neck. Maybe right. I'm totally off on that age. I guess he was 10 when he stabbed his father. <laughs> Never mind. I thought he was in his mid-20s. So, uh, yeah. So he's really young. Um, okay, there's that. Do that sleet Antius. Un Standing behind Unroll him. everything I said before. <laughs> he right. was only 10. <laughs> so Antius was like, yes, stab your father in the neck. Anyway, so Antius must have been the young tutor. He might have been only like 20. Okay. At age 70, retains substantial combat skills. So his character sheet says he's 70. So my bad. Okay. That was ambitious. Years old. Okay. He knew what he wanted. And know. he went for it. Well, yeah, this was also written in, you know, 2001. So, um, who knows? So, there was all of that. Mass murder, that's right. Now, now I go to my other, and this is, this, this goes into more headcanon for me. Um, uh, but there's this other, in one of the other books, I don't remember which book it was, I think it was like, might have been in the, one of the creature collections. But there's, there's this one other influence on Verduck. There's this thing called a Sloracean Muse. Um, these, they look like a, they look like a statue of a head. And there's, pre presumably there's one for each a major species, major sentient species made by the Slaracians during their empire. So there wouldn't be a Slytherin one, because the species didn't exist at the time. Um, or a Manticora one. But there would be for you know, humans and elves and dwarves and halflings and 
gnolls, presumably, <laughs> and, and anything else, any other sentient species, that, you know, certainly a sathi, yeah. all of the various species um, were made. There's a there's one that uh, makes an appearance in the uh, Forsaken trilogy that talks about uh, Vladowin's story, and he gets entangled up in one of these stupid things. Well, the, it's rumored that Verdak has the human one, has the, the human muse, and the Slorisi moves have mysterious motives. Not really. The Slorisian moves are trying to make the Slorisians back. I mean, it just makes sense. Right. <laughs> like, now, how they go about it is mysterious motives, because they go about it in this really roundabout, nonsensical way of, it's not direct. It's not like saying, like, open that gate over there, it'll bring back, you know, it's, it's not some sim simple thing. It's these roundabout, really complicated things, and they, they feed on your ambition, and they, they, they give you advice, and they know all these things, and they give you power, and it could very well explain Verduck's, a lot of Verduck's success, is if he had this head basically talking to him, going, say this to that noble, it'll help you, you know, and giving him constant advice that it could explain just even why he's so charismatic and everybody loves him is because of the influence of this muse. Now, my headcanon goes that why is he so interested in Barak Torn? Why is he putting so much effort at the sacrifice of the colony, at the sacrifice of Western expansion, at potentially the sacrifice of kids saying we're done with you because they kids is getting more kids is getting more influenced by shells are less control they're getting a little bit more freedom and putting everything he's got into taking Barak torn why why and we know that under Barak torn is a gate is a dimensional gate that they were going to use to defeat churn that the Jindali elves want to use to fix their god, and that the dwarves are like, nope, ours, no one can use it. I am wondering, is my headcanon, is that maybe the muse knows of the existence of this gate, has learned about it through all of this stuff, or through negotiations with the Jindal and, and all these things, and they're like, we want this gate. And the muse is like, maybe we can use this gate to free the Uthriac and the Slorasians from their, their entrapment. And so he's like, I want you to take this. And now, not clearly not telling Verduck why, but maybe the muse is like, we want to get the gate to free the free Uthra. So that's my headcanon, is that the muse is pushing him to take Verduck Torn so that it can control the gate, so the gate can be used to bring back the Slorisians. I think it's a plausible. It <laughs> totally makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I think it just makes sense. It's like, why would this muse be interested? Now, does is the muse actually exist in 5E and New... And new Scarred Lands. It hasn't been mentioned yet, but we haven't really gone into details about any of this yet. Um, and Slorasians are being delayed, I would say. <laughs> like, when are we going to bring... The Slorasians have not formally, officially been... They've been mentioned. They're mentioned in the SLPG. It's not like they're... And we publish in the Slorasian vault. It's not that they don't exist. But to what capacity are they going to be involved? I don't know yet. Um, so, but... I'm certainly like, hey, this is a cool plot point. If you want to throw this into your campaign, um, yeah. Other spoilers: when I ran my Scarred Lands campaign, this was totally a thing <laughs> um, that uh, that they went in and had to deal with that. And um, I did play the the uh, siege of Torn as part of my campaign, um, which was fun. <laughs> 
major, big, big, huge battles. Um, and I think there's a lot there. So that's modern day. Um, I don't know what else to cover because I, I did gloss over like, as I said, two thirds of this book. Um, I can I can certainly say more about some other specifics, but I don't know what would be interesting. Let's see what um, I I snagged images of just to see if there's anything. Uh... Any questions in the in the chat? Yeah. yeah. Um, so Vashon is the yeah. capital city, is that right? Vashon, yeah, Vashon, Vashon. I don't know how you pronounce it. I, I always pronounce it Vashon, but I again, I said it Anateas, not An Antias. So I I don't I can't. I move letters around when I pronounce things all the time, so don't ask me. Fashion? Sean? Sure. <laughs> There's probably a pronunciation guide for it somewhere. Um, maybe. My fashion. guess is probably oh, not. Oh, I've been assured in the other room that it is fashion. <laughs> I like it. I like it, yeah. And... Um, oh, yeah. Um, in terms of infrastructure, I'm blown away by the technology they've managed to do. So, Vashon borders this lake, which, you know, as lakes go in Gelsbad, one of the smaller ones that shows up on the map. So, and there's plenty of other lakes that don't show up on this map. They're just tiny lakes. Comparatively, right. Yeah. And Vashon, uh, the, the lake, is it called Lake Vashon or is there another name for it? Um, anyway, the lake is interesting. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, it just doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> at that uh, in terms of a natural lake because um, it's the Any River flows south and it branches here and, and, and all this this country going through Lagini, Galitas Grove and Cla into Clastia is like basically downward sloping toward the ocean. Um, the Keldar Mountains, high cliffs, and presumably there could be some smaller rivers that just don't show up in the map that lead into the lake as well, but the main river that goes in there is this branch. I don't know if it's still called the Eni at this point, or if this is, I think it's still the Eni at this point, and this is a different other tributary. But so the river branches here, which is the opposite of what rivers usually do. They usually join into one big river instead of branching into two smaller rivers, so there's that one weird thing. And it ends at a lake with no obvious outlet, which doesn't make sense because if it overflowed, was it just going to flood? I mean, what happens here? Now, it's the portable like, hole at the bottom next... that's all just draining. Well, it kind of, there kind of is. Um, <laughs> it's not a portable hole, but they don't know how deep this river, this lake is. They actually have not been able to measure it, and there's a lot of a lot of lore involved. It's like it's really deep. It may go into the quote underdark. We don't have a another dimensional underdark on Scarred Lands, but there's definitely a, a underground thing <laughs> where where the Slayers live and where there's all sorts of interesting shit going down there. Um, and and there's been certainly sightings of various weird monsters, Titan Spawn or other, that have come out of that lake. Um, not super common, but enough that people. Like every once in a while, people on that lake disappeared. You know, it's Lake Placid and crocodiles. No, um, it's, it's so it's not like dangerous. It's like a very uncommon occurrence, but it happens. Guardlands is a dangerous place. Um, my thought is it's probably 
the outlet is underground and maybe maybe just goes directly underground into the into the blossoming sea yeah maybe um or goes underground into subterranean who knows what's inside because this is really the only explanation because lakes don't work that way um but also the lake is at least somewhat artificial um uh whether it was created by the gods during the war or created by the gods in an altruistic way um it's also been modified by the Calastians. it is as they it's the reservoir um they have built massive aqueducts out of that lake for for fertilizing the farmlands of that whole region um they have stone roads they have um uh, pretty pretty high technology um you know, I think some of the stuff that that uh, the Romans built in their time. Um, you now, in terms of, of tech level, and I've, I've actually talked to Travis about this a little bit. Um, Vashon is definitely one of the higher tech level areas of Galspad, um, in terms of of what they can do when you combine magic, with, uh, engineering, and all of that. It's pretty cool shit down there. I do like their. Pardon me, my dog is going to bark. Uh, I do enjoy lore books that include architecture of the areas because otherwise you're just kind of like left either coming up with your on your on your own or you just genericize everything. And both uh, Vashon and Rahok have like these images with them that just have these really cool, like, not pyramids and not domed buildings. They're, I don't even know how to explain them, but they're on the screen. And so, uh, and then in Brahok, they have these tall buildings that are, have these, like, very flowing structures carved into them. And I just thought the whole area is just such a neat visualization and so talking about the infrastructure and the things that they've technologically reached i feel like their buildings do have that as well like like i don't feel like shells are who isn't necessarily super technological has skyscrapers whereas they do here <laughs> yeah, yeah. and they're also um even in verdux's promise in the colony well most of the colony is kind of you know not really well developed the city the capital city of the colony is um and in the termana book uh which is this one that we have not got a lot of glare there which we've not dived into yet um one of the locations and basically there's there's one city that they built before you know funding dried up uh called um dragonport because verduck is the black dragon and that's all the symbol and there's that whole thing um, and it's actually pretty, pretty high tech. Um, they have an engineering college there that is purported to be the premier school of engineering, arguably in the world. Certainly, and which implies at least in Termana and Gelsbad, because most people don't know of the world beyond those two continents. Sure, right. <laughs> There's more to the world. <laughs> Yes, there is. You just don't know where, because you know, there's the Lost Dragonlands. That's all, you know, and people are, you know. Uh, and there's two more continents that aren't even talked about. Um, but <laughs> but when they, whenever they say the world, I was like, Vitermont and Gelsbad, because no one knows about this. But <laughs> so, 
but but suffice it to say, even to be the the um, the top engineering school amongst those two continents is pretty freaking impressive, given yeah. what we're dealing with here. Specifically engineering, though, not in terms of scholarliness or magic or anything like that, but still in this, you know, kind of shitty colony. And <laughs> 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 like in the jungles, you know, of Germana. Right. Um, well, the, that's not the jungly part of Termana, but but uh, in the you know, and certainly in the wastelands of Termana. So that's it's kind of interesting, and that that they've put that much into it. Now, will this continue into to new new Scarlands Five E? I don't know, but but as I said, um, the way I look at it is, I don't contradict old lore until old lore is contradicted, <laughs> and then and I still even try to resolve old or new as much as possible to explain differences as much as we can yeah um, oh yeah I skipped over that 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 remember I said there was one major major difference and we did I think we talked about this before so this isn't a surprise the hydronomy of Verduck um, he gives the halflings in the original lore he moved in the described in the Gelsped book he moved in a bunch of half orcs as well because he had a bunch of half orc refugees and Half-orcs he wasn't sure what to do with, with Zverduck, and they moved him into the, with, to live with the halflings. And there was kind of a lot of tension there, and, and like that. How do they work together, and stuff there. Half-orcs, while they haven't been eliminated in new lore, have certainly been, the population has been reduced significantly until recently, and now you can have a half-orc half-anything. <laughs> but that's like super, like, this year recent. <laughs> like, I'm a half-orc! Half iron bread, half orc, half horse. Yes, okay. <laughs> half orc, half halfling. Word orc. <laughs> God. Anyway, no weeds. Um, it's recent, so I don't know how that's worked. But in new, in the new lore, as a way of introducing the slur- the sl- the uh, the uh, the Slytherin S race, right? As a way of introducing the rat folk, they've said a lot of refugees um, who've redeemed rat folk who've like you know fingered up at the titans and said yes yes gods they're good and we're done with that and we'll, we'll worship the gods have come out of the morning marshes or wherever they were because as we talked about before not all of the rat folk came from the morning marshes and have found them and Verduck is like hey I'll make a home for you with these halflings here rat folk you can live in this new country we've established after we kicked out all the Zakitskians. Um, which apparently they did. So in the new lore it's halflings and the Slytherin, the rat folk. And it's described in the new lore that they get along really well because they're both uh, species that have, you know, been dumped on. Um, that everybody thinks are like lesser and terrible, so they're they're strong allies. I don't have any problems with that. Um, I kind of miss the half work thing um as well i in my my own way i run it is all three exist but the half work population is just a lot smaller than it was in the original lore and the slytherin are very new or like they've only been around for like maybe a decade instead of decades but and honestly they really would have only been around for like a decade anyway because slytherin leaving those areas and being welcome is, is a very recent thing in general um, so I, I like that, um, and you can like if you're playing a Slytherin, you can be like I'm a Slytherin from Calastia, and it, and it makes the Calastians kind of interesting because 
the Calastians are described as mostly humans, and they really, and, and this is both old lore and new, are described as pretty much not liking any other race except the halflings. Yeah, they, they don't like elves. They've had problems with elves time and again. They don't like dwarves. <laughs> and, well, and this was interesting to me. So, specifically, the dwarves... I, I don't think I have to go back to... Specifically, the dwarves, they're like, okay, we're fighting the dwarves. We're at war with them, so we don't like the dwarves. The dwarves are, you know, our enemy at the moment, and any dwarf is suspect because they might be working for the dwarves of Burak Torn as a spy or whatever. So that kind of makes sense. Um, and, but they, when they see the dark, the Charduni dark dwarves, they're like, what? The Charduni dwarves are on our side. They're worship Chardun. They're good. And everybody's ruby with that. So they're like, oh, the, the Charduni dwarves, and we, and they're pretty easy to differentiate between the two types of dwarves. So Charduni dwarves is one of the exceptions to the rule. The elves are interesting because they, they don't really have good reason to hate the elves so much. Like, why do you guys hate the elves so much? They've created an alliance with the Drindali um, in their invasion of Barak Torn. So they have some Drindali diplomats who've showed up, but the Drindali are so isolationary, there's not a lot of them around. Um, but pretty much all the other elves, they're like, meh, you know, we don't want anything to do with you. Half-elves they're fine with. Half-elves are welcome. They're treated almost as equals. But the elves, they're like, they're weird and snooty and we don't want anything to do with them. And why? And the, the reasoning to me isn't really clear. Like, what did the elves do to them? <laughs> They're so bitter? I don't know. And they, they make a differentiation both for the Forsaken and, oh, that's why, that's why. It's because of the colony. Um, the, first, the colony is right on the border of the Forsaken Elf Kingdom, and the Forsaken Elves were like, we don't want you to build here, and they're like, meh. And so they, and so they have a different you know, disagreement with that, not actively at war, but certainly politically at odds. That doesn't explain why they have issues with the Ganges elves, which is a completely different nation. They're all the same. They're all the same, I guess, and they can't <laughs> differentiate very well between the elves, and they don't really recognize a Dundali elf as being different than a Ganges elf or a Forsaken elf. They all seem to kind of be the, like one of those elves that's tall and pointy with the ears. Um, or tall with the pointy ears. <laughs> pointy with the ears. <laughs> pointy ears. Um, so there's that. So, yeah, so elves aren't really welcome. So it's interesting. It's like halflings, great. Half elves, great. Half orcs slash orcs, okay. So it's confusing whether that's the case or not. Rat folk, okay. <laughs> um, and then the other races, like the Asath, and they don't even know what to do with them. <laughs> like, what do we say? So, the population in the old lore is something like 60-70% human, 20-30% uh, halfling, with a little bit of other thrown in, um, in most of um, the region, and certainly Calastia, um, and all the Calastian uh, areas. So it's interesting. But way at the beginning of this thing, I said, Calastia is not evil. It's actually a good place to live, for the most part. Now I have to explain that. <laughs> so I realize I haven't explained that yet. Why do I say that? It's like, I'm talking about conquering nation, and then they're going grabbing people, and there's colonialism, and there's racism, and there's all these other things. What, how are they not horrible? 
how is this not a horrible place to live? Why is this not Nazi Germany? Well, they're not gassing people, but why is this not a horrible evil empire? Why is this, you know, why aren't they horrible people? The nobility are horrible people. <laughs> I am not trying to even attempt to make the case that the nobility aren't horrible people. They are. The people are good people. Um, the people as a rule are not lawful evil. It's not a lawful evil society. It's a lawful evil government in a fairly neutral slash neutral good society. Faith in Calastia is not only, while Chardun is the state government, Chardun is not the only god worshipped and not the only god accepted in Calastia. And this is, this I found really fascinating and this I think was the, this was one of the earlier books published. Um, they only talk about the big eight gods. There's no mention of Arias or Manawi or any of those. Um, until you read the, uh, in, in terms of any Calastium, or I actually wondered if it came up for the guest here, but I don't think so. Um, they only make note of there being eight gods. In fact, these islands uh, to the south are known as um, the gifts of the gods, and there's presumably one island for each god. And they're like, but there's way more than eight islands, so who are, I, we don't understand. <laughs> eight gods, guys. Right. And and then there's also many references to um, the god Trelu, who's the god of of uh, like knowledge and not knowledge, but of of like architecture and stuff. So there is at least one demigod mentioned in this book. So I'm just like, hey. so it's like I think one of the writers, the writer of uh, chapter three, doesn't know there's more than eight gods. I guess <laughs> like I don't mean the writer as in the person who wrote the book. I mean the perspective of as we talked about earlier. Right. Um, so state governments Chardun, but also accepted worship as groovy. As we have churches, we're fine with this. You could do what you want. Are Madriel, Hadrada, and Denev. Um, Denev to a really less degree, but Hadrada and Madriel are considered totally groovy for the common people. Yeah, um, there's open worship. Um, it's all fine. Um, it's farmers, but. It, but what, what I found the most interesting, I'm, I'm going off a little bit, I found the most interesting is so, so, so we've got people, you know, there's, there's clerics of, of Hadrada who are all there, like, here's the law and, and there, and particularly in places like in Kila, where super popular, um, very lawful areas, um, when there's a dispute, you bring in a Hadrada, you stick or whatever, um, farmers are like, yes, Madriel's great. And she is, honestly, I think. But they, they like, follow her for you know, farming. They're like, Madriel, bless our crops. Um, and there's and there's some, some den of druids mucking about, you know, on, on the on the, uh, the down low. <laughs> um, you, you go into just about any town, though, and you're going to find one, but they're, like, kind of quiet off in the trees somewhere. Um, but they're not persecuted. They're not, like, there's nothing against them. The other gods... None of the other gods are really welcome. Followers of the other gods are really welcome. They don't really make a lot of sense. Like, Bellsmith, they're like, she's too crazy. <laughs> she's too much. You know, Bangles, no, he's really too much. And Keeley, no, too crazy. You know, they're, they're, they don't really, um, the, of the major gods. But the thing that struck me the most that I thought was super weird is the concept of agnosticism in Calastia and secularism in Calastia. 
most Calastian citizens are secular, not religious, which blew my brains when I read this. Because you think of Calastia and you think of the nobility who are just like, Chardoon, big churches to Chardoon, and these exist, totally exist. And they've got missionaries going out there praising the name of Chardoon. But the common people are agnostic. They're not to say they don't believe in the gods. Everybody believes in the gods. There's evidence of this. There's no question of that. Right. But they kind of, they don't, they pray out of habit and they pray wrong. <laughs> and I have to explain what I mean by this. So in at least three acts D&D lore, gods have a sphere of influence. So gods have kind of, each god has sort of, it's, it, it's pantheony. Each god has their thing. We don't, it's not monolithic, it's pantheon. So each god has sort of the thing they control. And while some gods overlap, um, both Chardun and Corian overlap in war, they still have their niche. And if you go outside their niche, they really can't do much for you. So if you pray to Chardun for good crops, probably not going to be able to help right. you because it's not in his sphere. There's a whole demigod in charge of crops. You pray to her, and she's barely even heard of in Calastia. So what does that mean? <laughs> People pray, and their prayers aren't answered. So they start to becoming agnostic. They're like, oh, well, my prayers don't answer anyway, and I pray out of habit because that's what you do, because you certainly don't want to piss off a god because they're super powerful, but it's more out of a habit than out of expectation because they're praying wrong <laughs> praying to the wrong god so if you pray to madriel to help me in battle <laughs> she's not going to help you in battle if you pray to madriel to help me heal this person she'll totally be behind you um so it's they're, they're, and there's nobody out there to go you're praying wrong <laughs> you know, so like they pray for like carry on the soul to the next life that would be to Namorga, right? Or maybe Belsimuth. They're praying to Chardoon. It's not his thing. He can't really do anything to help. If you're really important, he might put in a good word to to Namorga for you. <laughs> but I just feel like they're in the they're help. in the break room, and Chardoon is just like, <laughs> I am tired of taking your messages here. <sighs> yeah, yeah, maybe. And, and, and it's actually a conceit that I've been doing in the in our novels to be like, if you pray in the wrong way, the wrong God's going to hear it. And probably, and the odds of them passing on their, your message is like, and I've said this before, it's like, if you pray to Madril at night or Belsimuth during the day, you're going to, it's going to go to the wrong God. <laughs> Like, you pray to Madriel at night, Belsmith's gonna get it, and she's gonna be like, right. well, yeah. number, <laughs> and vice like... versa. Yeah, and, and Madriel probably passes on the messages. Like, like Belsmith, I got more of your your, your night, your uh, daytime. Right, and Belsmith is know, like, great, so that's great, I'm just converting your followers. Okay, bye-bye. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I have no idea. But um, but, uh, but if you pray wrong, they, they don't, they never pick up the line. So presumably a cleric knows how to do it correctly, but um, but your your Joshmo farmer, your your merchant, your your soldier, 
never necessarily going to work. So Turden has a lot of power amongst the nobility and the army because they're praying to him correctly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Help me fight in battle. Here you go. That's my thing. Or one of my things. But bless my crops. I don't Super interesting. I thought it was super interesting. This is kind of neat. And 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 actually, and, and and when I read that, I had this like striking moment because our main character in Vigilant is agnostic in many ways. He doesn't. He's like, yeah, of course the gods exist, but he does, and he prays out of habit. Um, but he doesn't necessarily think his prayers are ever going to get answered because they never do. Probably because he's praying wrong. Right. <laughs> it's like, how do you? Yeah. So there's that. There's there's kind of that. I think that's that's kind of interesting. Anyway, did I cover everything? I have no idea if I covered everything. <laughs> I covered mean, a lot. There, there is definitely a lot to Classia, and you know, like you said, um, evil empire, people not so evil, and the people, like you said, there are colleges. Um, I, there was a part in the book that talks about how everyone, most everyone, is really given the opportunity to be educated, either going to a university or going to be an apprentice by, you know, a, a master of some kind. Um, whereas a lot of the other good civilizations can't even provide that for their people and their people are starving or they're homeless or they're poor and destitute and all these things. And Kalashia is like pretty solid. Like it supports people. No one's really, um, there are those who are outcasts based on race or whatever, but they're they're not a the, the actual citizens are very well taken care of and so i feel like if you are in a calastian you don't feel that badly about verduck Slavery is legal what's that but slavery is legal but Correct. slavery is interesting because you're not enslaved because of your species or your ethnicity or anything like that there's nothing like that um basically slaves are people who um and okay some people are just like we found this dude and we turned him into slave because they're you know horrible people and they're just being a jerk a lot of slaves are people who were conquered as prisoners a lot but the majority of them were people who were criminals and in lieu of you know dastardly crime they just kill you but but in terms of moderate crime they just indenture you right um, and it is possible to buy your way out of slavery um, and to become free. Um, it's not easy. It's, it's horrible. And the treatment of slavery is not very good. Um, it's, it's, I'm not saying it's, there's anything good here. And, and um, it's completely government supported. And there's a lot of underlying badness here. Um, so they're not a happy place for everyone. Yeah. But no one's hungry no one goes hungry in class day because they have overabundance of food they've been doing incredibly well for that they have the infrastructure they have roads they have water um they have the clerics who you know keep diseases under control um they have the army that keeps the titan spawn monsters under control um and unless something major has happening like the blood monsoon things are really good down there the yeah. weather is good <laughs> like it's just overall as an ordinary everyday citizen peasantry or whatever it's not a bad place to live um there have been some some complicated times one of the things i glossed over in the history during the whole consolidation 
there were actually some people who whose areas were divided between two different dukedoms and they didn't know which dukedom they were <laughs> supposed to be in and they were being double taxed Ooh. and so there was you know and this was like 100 plus years ago yeah. in the earlier days of the, of the empire or the country but um so it is not it's not always happy for the everyday man and during times of war which is like all the time um they they run around and, and enlist people and and have a draft so or have some kind of medieval draft equivalent um so it's not you know yeah. but as for compared to the rest of Galespad, <laughs> it's pretty good yeah um yeah because you don't Calastius doesn't really have famines it doesn't really have um uh, uh those kinds of things um and 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 their laws are so rigid that as long as you obey the law yeah and, but they're not specifically kind of persecuting people here. I, I don't know, it's complicated. But as long as you obey the law, um, they don't, you know, do bad things. So a lot of people like it because you don't have, you know, rampaging monsters across the land like you have in other places. It's, it's more peaceful. So uh, I think it's a great. I, I haven't actually run a campaign in class two, which is I kind of feel remiss about. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's one of the areas I haven't really, like, there's a reason I hadn't read the book. I hadn't, I hadn't really touched this region. Um, I, I ran most of my campaigns in Mithril Vesh, um, um, or, you know, some of the central, you know, Ganges, all these other areas. Um, and Shelzar, I've done a hell of a lot in Shelzar. Um, I keep coming back to Shelzar, it's just a great place. <laughs> but I haven't really done much with Clastia. Um, uh, although, so book two takes place in New Veneer, so. Yeah. I could talk a lot about New Veneer and I have today. Because <laughs> <laughs> a lot of that's new lore that is going to come out with that. Um, but, uh, yeah. Um, I got an alliteration so, for you. It's mm -hmm. the conundrum of Calastia. Yeah, I love that. Conundrum of Calastia. Because alliteration, right? Scarred lands. You need it. You need alliteration, and you need to somehow get the word "rive" in there. <laughs> I feel like if you're a big I, fan of the word of the letters G or S, you also will fit in very well. And M and M. Don't don't forget. Yeah, M. M. <laughs> well. Yes. It's it's getting away from the traditional fantasy of overuse of Z, X, and V. That is true. That is true. <laughs> <laughs> So, I don't know what we'll talk about next week. Uh, maybe we will kick over to Zeth... I say Zethisk, but... Zethisk? I don't know what to say about... Zethisk. Yeah, that, that whole area Shelzar right region. there, um, which is... You've done you've done a more recent stuff in Shelzar, too, haven't you? It's true. Curiosity Cache actually takes place in Shelzar, so... Yay! So, so... So maybe you can do more of the talking than me <laughs> next time. I don't know. We could try. I'll, 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 ref I'll refresh the book. It's been a while since I've read it. Um, so we could talk about Shelzar next time. Maybe, maybe, okay. tentatively. But, um, For the... and we've got, oh, so many more areas. <laughs> keep showing me the back of my head as I look right. at that. <laughs> look, this is, the, this is the small area that we've covered so far. Now look at the rest of the continent. Yeah, it's not super covered. small, 
but we have a long uh, way to go. We, we, have, we skipped Hadrada. We did this area. We did this. Now we've done... We, I kind of glossed over... Admittedly, I kind of glossed over this area, but we talked about this a bit. Maybe we'll yeah, expand on New Veneer and all that next week. We'll, de we'll decide and let, we'll you, let yeah. you viewers know. Yeah. Until then... We'll have a specific area. Sarah, tell us about yourself. Sarah Stewart, obviously into this stuff deep, deep, deep. Author of Vigilant. Hi. Um, go read it. It's awesome. Um, I also have several titles on on these three scene vault. Um, and you can reach me at morelikethisindustries.com um, is our website. And uh, yeah, and I just love this setting. Yay. And, and I am Jeremy Hochhalter. I also publish on the Solution Vault, uh, DMs Guild, Drive Through RPG. I own and operate Wonders Haven Publications. Um, on Fridays, we do the Lure You Know, and then in the afternoons, I do Curiosity Cash, which is coming back next Friday. We've been on vacation between seasons. Um, so tune in next Friday at 4 30 p.m. Eastern to catch episode one of season two. And on Mondays, both Sarah and I are on uh, Travis Legg's Scarred Lands actual play, Myths and Matchmakers, that is at 3 p.m. <laughs> I forgot. I think it's at 3 p.m. Eastern. Yes. Okay. Yes. 3 p.m. Eastern. Oh, 3 p.m. Um, Eastern. On Plastic Age Plays. And that's been a... We just started season Pacific, three. So. We're, yeah, we're into season, or a little bit into season three. We keep taking weird breaks yeah. because of, of, of other commitments. Life. Like last week, last week we had a random game of probably the most random game I've, I can't say the most random game I've ever been in because um, I've been gaming a long time, but it was certainly in the top ten. <laughs> it was Beholder. memorable, apparently. I actually it was missed memorable. it. I was out of town. So you I... missed the Magenta Beholder. What? Betsy. Was it fabulous? It was fabulous uh, was for other reasons. Was there glitter? But there was not. Was there glitter? There I'm was so tea. disappointed. I don't want to know more. There was tea. There it was, was tea. Weird. All right, that's it fair. It was really weird. We, and... and yeah, and there was no combat. And if you want to go, it was bazongular. I like it. If you want to it go check bizongular. out this bazongular game, you can catch it on uh, Travis Legg's uh, YouTube. I will post the link to that because I'm going to go watch it now because it was bazongular. And, and it's like two and a half hours to boot. So I did notice it was a longer run. Uh, <laughs> or, or even longer. It was like yeah. three and a half hours. It was really long. <laughs> It took three and a half hours. Really long. But until next time, everybody stay safe. Um, take care of one another. Take care of yourself. And we will see you. Yeah, wash your hands. We will see you next Friday. Bye.